Weeks on the Ledge is supported by Hoppy, the home management website where you can save money on your household bills and find tradespeople for all those jobs around the home. Why not see how much time and money you can save today at hoppy.co.uk? That's hoppy.co.uk. I've had a sausage roll lunch and a mint tea and I'm revved up and ready to go for episode 150 of On The Ledge Podcast. I hope that life is treating you with the decorum that you truly deserve. Yes, it's episode 150 of On The Ledge Podcast, another milestone. And I am your host, Jane Perrone, here with you since, well, what feels like the start of time, bringing you tips, chat and fellowship on the subject of houseplants. In this episode, we look back at some highlights from the last 50 shows. I answer a question about growing tomatoes. We hear from listener Lydia in Meet the Listener. And I present the On the Ledge Manifesto. I'm hoping it's going to be a little more interesting than those party political documents that go up around election time and and that you will all be on board with everything I've got to say. But it's just my summary of the things I've learned and the information I've crystallised over the past three and a half years making this show, and I hope you'll find it of interest. Many thanks to all of you who've been listening to old episodes while the show's been on hold for a couple of weeks, and to those of you who have pledged a donation. Cassidy has become a crazy plant person. Joanna and Stephanie have become legends. All three plugging their details into patreon.com where you'll find me at forward slash on the ledge. This is a way of giving a small monthly donation which unlocks extra exclusive content and also helps to support the show. And thank you to Jonathan, Jenna and Lynn who've all made a donation on co-fi.com. It occurred to me the other day that maybe I should be calling it co kofi.com is it is it trying to say coffee i don't know anyway <laughs> i've always called it co-fi.com just because that's what it looks like to my eyes but yeah co-fi.com is a place where you can make a one-off donation they call it buying me a coffee so it's in denominations of three dollars i think and it's just a way of making a one-off donation if you don't feel like you can commit to something every month so if you want to support me that way all the details for that and for Patreon are on my website, janeperone.com, and you'll find those details in every one of the show notes. And a final thank you to Caroline Casey and Dave on LI, who left me five-star reviews. Thank you very much, lovely people. And I had a lovely message from Cassandra, who was asking me about a pilea plant that she had, and I identified it as the cultivar Moon Valley, which has the lovely crenellated and fascinating looking leaves. If you remember, I mentioned Pilea Moon Valley back in episode 144, the underrated houseplants episode. And Cassandra also introduced me to another cultivar that I'd not come across before. 
which is Pilea Pan Am. Now, this is a cultivar of the aluminium plant or aluminum, if you prefer, Pilea cadarii. And the cultivar Pan Am has got these dark chocolatey and silver striped leaves that are rather lovely. And I'd also recommend you look out for the wonderful Pilea Ellen, which has got lovely silvery leaves. They're not the easiest things to keep growing in the long term, but they are easy to propagate. So, yeah, let's be seeing some more Pileas in the world other than the ubiquitous Peperomioides, because there's more to Pileas than that one particular plant. And thank you to Susan, who got in touch about the nightmare that is root mealybugs, sending me a link to a piece about how you can treat root mealybugs in a rather unusual way. As Susan put it, you can sous vide them. <laughs> what you can do is submerge the plants roots completely underwater in hot, really quite hot water. Let me just get the actual numbers. I just was looking at it just now. This was something that was trialled on sedum where they submerged the roots in water that was 120 Fahrenheit for 15 minutes. And then the plants were cooled down to 60 to 70 Fahrenheit for 10 minutes and then returned to the growing area. Uh, 120 Fahrenheit is about 49 degrees Celsius for those of us in Europe. And this technique seems unbelievable and that you think that it would kill the plant, but apparently it kills the mealybug. But certainly the sedum seem to survive it. Certainly worth a try if you've got some really precious plants being affected by root mealybug. You just need to make sure you get the water temperature exactly right and that you're testing the temperature right at the centre of the root ball to make sure that you really are killing off all the pests don't blame me if you end up with a dead plant at the end of it though but I thought I'd pass that on because I've heard it a couple of places uh, I'm sure I've read it also on the British Cactus and Succulent Society journal or possibly on their website that people are trying this technique so that's definitely worth a go if you have a problem with root mealybugs uh, I'm also planning an episode on scale now I've always been a bit blasé about scale but I had a really bad infestation on my Pelionia rep repens the watermelon begonia vine not a begonia uh, which became apparent when I got back from a trip away for a week and boy is it dire it's really difficult and so yeah <laughs> in in my everlasting desire to do episodes that help myself a scale episode will be on its way what have I done so far? Well, the usual thing of just getting my hand lens out, washing off the, the scale as much as possible and removing the worst affected uh, leaves. So we'll see how that goes. So, yeah, if you're having a problem with scale or if you've got any amazing treatments for scale, then do let me know. And now it's time to bring you the On The Ledge Manifesto. It's important to say that this really is a work in progress. I had a Zoom meeting with my Patreon subscribers a while ago and asked for their suggestions. And some of those are incorporated in this. But I'd also love to hear your thoughts. This is going to be an evolving document that I might add to as I go along. But it just gives you an idea of some of the core beliefs and views that, that underpin the show. Manifesto point number one is this. Everybody, absolutely everybody, can be a plant person. There are no such things as green thumbs or black thumbs or any other silly phrase to do with th thumbs. 
Anybody can be a plant person and it starts with one plant, which you may well kill and that's fine. This show is completely open to everybody, whatever their age, background, location, religion, race, all those other things that uh, other people try to use to put us into boxes. I don't really care about any of that stuff. I just care about helping people learn about plants. So that's the first thing to say. Anybody can be a plant person. Do not feel held back by the fact that you think you're not very good at science or that you have killed plants in the past or that you don't know what you're doing (laughs) because everybody gets on a journey and starts learning and that is absolutely cool. So you are a plant person. If you have a plant, you are a plant person. So that's manifesto point number one. Okay, uh, manifesto point number two. Every plant has a story. What does that mean though? Well, every plant comes from somewhere, has a native home, and the more you can understand about the ways that your plant grows in its native home, how it was used by the people, where it grew and where it evolved, and how other people have discovered, I say that in heavy inverted commas because usually these plants, or almost always these plants, are already very well known to, by the people who uh, actually live around them. But the story that's been built up around a plant, the more you know and understand that, the more you can understand how to look after your plants in your home. And I just add a little side note to that about plant names. Do question plant names. Let's not underestimate the degree to which the plants we own today came to us thanks to the labours of enslaved peoples. The slave ships that crossed the globe and travelled to Africa and Latin America They carried the plants that we know and love to Europe and the rest of the world. I'm going to cover this in more depth in an upcoming episode, but it's worth knowing about the journey that our plants have taken to reach us and the ways in which they've been interpreted and named and labelled by by generations of people, mostly men, it has to be said. And let's just get rid of a lot of the really pejorative names that are attached to so many houseplants. And just because you've heard people calling a plant by a particular name, it doesn't mean that name's acceptable or that you're not perpetuating horrible stereotypes. From mother-in-law's tongue to wandering Jew and much worse, it's time to find alternatives to these names. And there's there's loads of alternatives already out there. So Tradescantia can be called Wandering Dude or Spiderwort or dare I say it, Tradescantia. Sansevieria, it's the snake plant. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a piece in The Scientist magazine published in 1991 by science writer uh, Melvin Hunter. Um, and in that, he urged botanists to change their ways about naming. And some of the really offensive names have been dropped out of have dropped out of use since then, but some of them haven't, shockingly. So do go and read that piece and have a think and just have a little check through your head and maybe start thinking about some more positive names for some of the plants that you own. If you haven't thought about that before, that's just something to have a think about. Next up, uh, there's an idea that gardening is is green. Now, okay, yeah, literally, obviously plants are green. But manifesto point number three is this. Gardening isn't green, by which I mean 
eco-friendly unless you make it so. I'm talking about indoor gardening and outdoor gardening here, really. As you'll know if you've listened to the show before, sustainability is something I'm really passionate about. I'm not saying I've got all the answers or done everything right myself, but the more I learn about plants, the more I want to respect the resources that we have and try not to waste them and to use things in a responsible way. And that extends from everything like careful use of non-renewable resources like perlite and pumice, using peat-free compost to avoid denigrating and, and destroying our world's peat bogs, thinking hard about whether I really need to send away to Thailand for a plant when I could go to a plant swap locally, propagate my own plants and do swaps, give plants away. And the more you learn about propagation, the more you deeply understand your plants. It doesn't mean you can never buy a plant again, but, you know, do go back and listen to the episodes where I've talked about the downsides of buying from big box stores and think hard about whether there's a local nursery or grower that you could support or a plant swap that you could go to so that some of that valuable money that you're putting into plants is going to local experts who are paying a fair wage, who are growing responsibly, because that is a really key part of being a responsible houseplant person. Right, next up, find the right number of plants for you. And that might be one plant. It might be a thousand plants. Try not to compare yourself to that person on Instagram. Oh gosh, this happens so often. There was somebody on Gardener's World recently, a lovely guy who's got hundreds of plants in his small house. And that was great and lovely and wonderful. But don't feel like you have to be that same person in order to be accepted in the houseplant community because having a literal house full of plants does not suit everybody. That's a heck of a lot of work. The magic number may change as your life moves on. I mean, I hope in retirement to be the owner of hundreds of plants and, you know, split my time between riding horses and engaging in mad propagation experiments. But right now, you know, I've got two children who need quite a lot of my time. I've got to earn money to keep myself and my family in, you know, baked beans and the old vintage brooch. So I've got rid of some plants recently and it felt really good, I have to say. I did not have to worry about them anymore and I could focus on taking care of the plants that I really loved and cared about. So find the right number of plants for you. Okay, next up, do not be afraid of bugs. It's really tempting to think that we can keep our plants as a kind of a creature-free zone, but the reality is that bringing plant life into your home, you're inevitably going to get creatures as well. From the welcome ones, like the occasional hoverfly that decides to hang out on a, on a flower, to the less welcome ones, the thrips, the aphids, the fungus gnats, the mites. I see so many posts on social media saying, how do I get rid of fungus gnats forever? And here's the tea. You are never going to get rid of all the pests. I mean, I know that's for some, that's like an existential crisis moment where you're just like, ah, I can't do it. But you know what? It's fine. 
All you can hope to do is achieve a kind of balance. And the best way of stopping undesirable bugs taking hold is really your eyes and your time. So as I say, I had noticed a couple of scale on this Pelionia plant a few weeks ago and I kind of rubbed them off and thought no more of it. If I'd have actually spent the time to sit down with that plant and my hand lens and look at it carefully, I could have seen that infestation coming and stopped it much more quickly now I still might lose the plant whereas if I'd have done that back a few weeks ago it would have been absolutely fine so don't try and find the magic bullet because there isn't one enjoy your plants and if you have a few pests and some brown tips to your leaves chill it's fine and on that note I've forgotten where we're at now are we at number five I think it's number five one yellow leaf does not a dead plant make how many times have I had a message from Plumbly saying, I've got this plant, but it's got a yellow leaf and it's looking terrible. I'm sorry, I'm, if you, my voice is going funny, it's because I'm looking up at the ceiling and kind of in despair at, the, at these questions. Still send me questions, please. But if you've got one yellow leaf on your plant, particularly if that yellow leaf is the smallest and probably an oldest leaf on the plant, that probably means the plant is just doing its thing, which is shedding an old leaf that is no longer useful. You know, if, if we as humans never lost any dead skin, like we'd be a walking dandruff flake. And it's a bit like this for plants. They The leaves do not last forever and the oldest ones will gradually go yellow and fall off. And that's part of... The rich tapestry that that leaf in nature will then hit the ground, start to decompose, and then the humus from that leaf will then go back into the soil and enrich the plant. So it's all a rich tapestry. But obviously in the home, you may not want to be seeing a yellow leaf. Obviously, if your plant is all yellow, and it shouldn't be, then that's a problem. But don't worry about the odd yellow leaf. Lots of these questions come from people who have had their plants for a few months and they've all been good from the houseplant shop and then a yellow leaf comes and they panic but don't panic about yellow leaves they're just part of the cycle next start with the roots i think almost every plant inquiry that i get starts out with my advice that the first thing you should do is take the plant out of its pot and check the roots because below the surface of the soil that's the engine room of your plants and it's also a place that trouble can lurk unseen and begin to grow. So learn to recognise what a healthy root looks and smells like. Don't be afraid to stick your finger into that root ball and see what's going on. And be familiarise yourself with the different things that make up soil so that you can identify the difference between a fertiliser pellet and a slug egg, which often get mixed up. Slug eggs are sort of like pearly little round balls. And oftentimes they look very similar to the fertiliser that some manufacturers put in their potting mixes. Little things like that will help you. And again, as I've said it before, get yourself a hand lens and use that hand lens on the roots as well as the leaves. The hand lens is your friend. It's so useful. I can't tell you how many times I have used my hand lens. It's usually in my pocket because that way I can know where it is through the course of the day. So start with the roots. Look at your roots. That's where things start to go wrong first. So there you have it. My manifesto for On The Ledge. Got anything to add? Then drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes. I'd love to hear your thoughts and we can build on this manifesto as we go.
Now it's time for Meet the Listener, and our listener this week is Lydia. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My name's Lydia, and I live in the Boston area of uh, Massachusetts in the United States, and I've been a dedicated plant lady for just over a year now. Question one. There's a fire and all your plants are about to burn. Which one do you grab as you escape? Um, If I needed to choose one plant to grab in a fire, I would probably grab, though it's a difficult question to answer, my philodendron Brazil. It's about a foot long, it's in an 8-inch pot, and it really makes a statement. It's also very easy to take care of. I feel like it would be easy for it to adapt to a new environment if I needed to put it somewhere else, and I can propagate it fairly easily as well if I needed to. Question 2. What is your favourite episode of On the Ledge? My favourite episode of On the Ledge is got to be the Grow Lights episode with Leslie Halleck. It just really helped me understand a lot more what my plants need for light and that, you know, light is honestly more important than watering, it seems at this point. Um, And I've really been able to transform my space and help my plants out a lot since then. And they've really started to thrive with the knowledge that I've gotten from that episode. Question three, which Latin name do you say to impress people? The Latin name I say most often, kind of to impress people, but also just because it's currently my favorite plant, is Serapigia woodii subspecies linearis. And I personally prefer the variegated version, just because I really like pink plants, as a lot of people do. Question four, crassulation, acid metabolism, or gutation? I'm going to have to say gutation because I am certainly an aeroids person and I really like to be able to see what my plants are doing. I think it's a really cool reward to watch them sort of drip in the evening when it's cool and just to sort of see them um, take on their own personalities. While the crassulation acid metabolism is pretty awesome, I definitely just like to see my plants in action. So I'll have to go with gutation. Question five. Would you rather spend £200 on a variegated monstera or £200 on 20 interesting cacti? So £200 on a monstera or interesting cacti, I'll have to go with hmm, probably the variegated monstera. I am not good with cacti. I have a very difficult time keeping them alive. I really like to water my plants and I haven't quite gotten the right soil mix yet. So I'll have to go with the Monstera because I'm able to keep quite a lot of aeroids alive, but I've killed very many cactus. Thank you, Lydia. And if you'd like to hear your own voice on the show, all you need to do is drop a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. And my assistant Kelly will be in touch with the very straightforward instructions for getting on this particular slot. Right, let's crack on with question of the week, which comes from Chris, who addressed me as Ms. Perone. Very formal, Chris. And the question from Chris is concerning tomato plants. Now, for some reason, people often decide that they want to grow vegetables for the very first time and tomatoes are the things that they pick to grow which is a bit like deciding you're gonna get into cooking and attempting a Heston Blumenthal recipe as your first recipe (laughs) because tomatoes are not the easiest thing in the world to grow 
I mean, you know, it's not rocket science, but there are things you need to bear in mind. I mean, I did, I did see a post from somebody on Twitter recently saying, I can't believe it. I've just discovered that the tomato plants that I've been caring for all year, I'm going to have to sow seeds all over again next spring. So there is a lot involved in caring for tomato plants. They're not the easiest things to grow, particularly if you're trying to grow them in containers um, or you're even daring to grow them on your windowsill. They are not the easiest of plants. But let's hear what Chris has to say and then we'll figure out how to help him. So Chris and his wife came home from a trip away and the tomato plants in containers had an inch of water sitting on the top of the soil. No. Uh, okay, this is not good. So the neighbour had watered and his son also watered as well. So there was a bit of watering confusion going on and the plants, as you can imagine, were drowning by the time Chris got back. So Chris did the right thing, removing the plants and the sludge and drying them out on a piece of newspaper and then putting the plants into the container with new soil and keeping them out of the sun for a day to recover on his deck. Really good work there, Chris. That was exactly what I would have recommended that you do. But he's finding that even though he's given it a little while, the plants are still looking really sad. So what would I recommend? The trouble with plants that have been starved of oxygen at the roots, as these plants have just by a load of water is that it really does set the plants back it damages the plants and they will take a while to recover particularly tomato plants they've got fairly specific requirements and if those aren't met they won't look great i've got some sitting outside my office here on my patio which are in two small pots and they've responded by curling up their leaves and looking kind of miserable they've still got some nice fruit on them if I get time I will put them into a bigger container if I can find one but tomatoes will show you quite quickly when things are going wrong in this case the plants the foliage may never totally recover that's already there it may always look a bit miserable and you may find that you know you still struggle to get good fruit off these plants because they really have been set back that said I think there's a chance that they will grow and you'll get something in the way of fruit out of them I would just be very careful to make sure they don't get overwatered, and that you keep feeding them with uh, tomato feed once the plants have actually the fruits have actually set then you can start giving them specialist tomato food as opposed to just a regular nitrogen fertilizer. And hopefully the plants will revive. You've done all the right things, Chris. You've you've got rid of the, the sludgy water around them. You've put them in new soil. So they've got some new soil with lots of air in it, which is good. Hopefully, the only other thing that may have happened is that you may have had some actual rot around the roots and that may still be happening or the damage may not have been removed if you didn't cut away those damaged roots you may be finding that there's still a bit of rot going on but to be honest it's kind of hard to know I would leave them as they are keep watering and see where it takes you I mean you're not growing them to look beautiful so some tomato plants will look all kinds of weird and 
twisted but actually they'll still produce some good fruit so i wouldn't panic too much lots of people do try to grow tomato plants indoors on the whole i would say bad idea there just isn't enough light indoors if you've got some good grow lights indoors you could certainly put them under that the trouble is that most tomato plants just get massively too big i did stumble though across a tomato cultivar that actually i'm going to try growing as a windowsill plant next year now don't get too excited because these are actually out of stock from the only company in the uk that i've found selling these they are called house tomato and they are listed on the real seeds website which is a wonderful vegetable seed company here in the uk selling open pollinated seed that you can then save yourself and this heirloom variety was apparently bred in russia and then brought to canada in the 1890s and it really is a dwarf plant that you can grow in a window on a windowsill and it's only about a foot tall it sounds great and this is one that I would really like to try. I will put a link in the show notes so that come November, you too can order some house tomato seeds if you happen to be in the UK. Now, these were actually brought back into circulation by Annapolis Seeds, which is in Canada, and they are listed on their websites. So I will add also add a link to that in case you, any Canadian listeners want to try to get hold of some from there or possibly people in the US as well. So, yeah, the tomatoes may be more possible to grow on a windowsill than I thought before, but it's all about cultivar choice. Choose the dwarfiest tomato that you can possibly get and you will need lots of extra light. It's better off on a balcony or a tiny patio or a front step bathed in sun and hopefully you'll have success i do have a tomato growing guide on my blog uh, which is for growing outdoor tomatoes i will post a link to that in the show notes if you're interested i've been growing tomatoes outside for many years and never never cease to find new things to get wrong because as i say they aren't the easiest things to grow but um lovely to try and you do get some very interesting tomatoes as a result i'm growing some black tomatoes this year and another variety which have pink and green stripes don't you know so yeah love a tomato but uh they will challenge you every step of the way on the ledge podcast at gmail.com is the place to send your queries and i will be doing a q a special in the coming weeks so do drop me a line if you've got something that you want to know i will endeavor to help and now as promised some highlights from the last 50 episodes the hallway of your home (laughs) and the first thing I see is something that's got me very excited which is your little pots of delight it's doing the classic Hoya thing people worry about this but it really is totally normal for Hoyas and in fact many plants that scramble and climb about which is putting out completely bare stems with no leaves on them at first and you start to panic and think where are my leaves the on the ledge sew along is now in its third year can you believe that it's quite simple it's our way of getting to know our house plants better by growing them from seed <sighs> quite a lot's been happening hasn't it it's been 
quite hectic, quite panicky, quite strange. Unprecedented, I think, is a word that's being rather overused in the media at the moment. But this really is an unprecedented time. And as I always knew, you guys have really stepped forward and are being wonderful in lots of different ways. Now more than ever, we need our plants, don't we? Oh man, absolutely. I've never been more thankful, especially because, you know, I'm in Long Island City in New York City. So I'm lucky enough to not be on the proper island, but you know, I'm in a tiny one bedroom apartment with my fiance. We have the tiniest balcony that like we can't really sit on. I just have never been more thankful for my houseplants, my 150 houseplants. And what about pests with these? Are there any mealybug, are they mealybug magnets or any other problems like that? It's baboons. Oh, you mentioned the wild. <laughs> I've got many baboons. No, I think I'm okay for baboons. I think that'll probably not be a problem in my greenhouse, but yeah. <laughs> And that just about rounds up this week's show. I will be back next Friday and it is a relaxation special. So I shall be putting on my most relaxing voice. I won't be, don't worry, I won't be sounding like that. But it's a relaxation special designed to let you de-stress and think about lovely things, which is much needed in these times. So looking forward to bringing you that. And if you aren't sick of the sound of my voice, you can hear me on a BBC Radio 4 programme this week called Open Country, where I am talking about pavement plants as part of an episode of that series, which is was really fun to contribute to, talking about why it's important to learn about the plants that grow in your streetscape. I'll put a link to that in the show notes to peruse if you wish. In the meantime, remember, you are the bee's knees. Don't say I never told you. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, Chiefs by Jazar, Love Wins by Lee Rosevear and After the Flames by Josh Woodward. And the ad music was Whistling Rufus by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit janeperone.com for details.